Please remain standing and turn to the book of Romans this morning. Worship folder says Romans 10, and I made a decision after it went, got printed to back up a little bit into Romans 9 uh, to, to get the complete thought. So Romans 9, verse 30, to chapter 10, verse 17. And follow along or listen uh, closely to this, and, and this is a wonderful Easter text this morning. Paul is writing to the Romans in church, and he says, What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is, a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Verse 1 of chapter 10. Brothers, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God, And seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Verses 9 and 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Amen. We'll stop there. Please be seated and let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being your people in your house on your day. We thank you for the scriptures. They give us plain instruction on how to live, but who to trust in and how to be saved. And Lord, we thank you for that biblical word, saved. And we ask that you would help us to be people who know we are saved. Lord, thank you for saving us. Thank you that you came to seek and save those who were lost. And Lord, we ask that you'll help us now, through your Holy Spirit, to take in what you have for us from your word. 
In Jesus' name, amen. There was a jazz singer used to listen to more than I do now, I guess. She was singing, this is back, uh, oh, 30 years ago or so, had a song about uh, a relationship she was in. And it sounded good. She was talking about, uh, oh, uh, describing it as a quiet storm. I mean, this woman was, uh, to, to, to be believed, she was really head over heels in love. And there was a line from that song where she's talking to her, her husband or, or boyfriend or whoever it was, and she said, with you, every day is Christmas and every night is New Year's Eve. And I thought about what would it be like to be in that where every day is like Christmas. And we have a, a situation here in our culture, uh, in our church, Someone somewhere set up a church calendar at some time. And I guess as I keep listening through church history, I'll be reminded of who that was and and all the facts. But they set up this church calendar and they said, okay, on this day, it's when we we really focus on the birth of Christ. This will be Christmas. This will be Easter. This will be uh, uh, Pentecost. This will be Ascension Day. Uh, These are the days we do this. And they set up various... uh, Feasts and, and, and things that, that would, were to happen. Um, commemorating Good Friday, celebrating Easter like today. It's like the four seasons, like sports seasons used to be when I was a kid. And, and there were four sports, but we didn't really pay much attention to hockey where I was growing up. But boy, winter was basketball, then summer was baseball, and fall was football. And then came basketball. And of course, there's a minor overlap. Now it seems like they all go along. They go, you know, they, they overlap, and there's a gazillion more things and all that. And it's not quite like it was with the seasons. And we talk about seasons of life and seasons of worship in the church. But I want to say, for the Christian church, I'm not knocking a church calendar. I, I'm, I'm happy. Let's, let's, let's take some time, and let's celebrate Christmas when everybody else celebrates Christmas. And, and I know people say, well, you know, this was to kind of like bring some pagan stuff in and sometimes Christian stuff went. It's okay to celebrate these things, but you need to understand that in our services at Christ the Shepherd, every service is Christmas and Easter and Pentecost and looking forward to the return of Christ and Judgment Day in heaven. It's all rolled into one. And for the Christian, every day uh, matters that there's a birth of Christ and a death of Christ, and a resurrection of Christ, and a Holy Spirit sent from Christ, and a return of Christ. And that's every day. And we're more like that singer of that song uh, who says every day is that way. We don't have to wait until Easter, have a big deal where we get us all hyped up and excited about the resurrection, and then go back to our humdrum lives and do our thing and just wait till next Easter. Easter's every day. The resurrection is central person and work of Christ. And so I love Easter's. I love the empty tomb. I love reading about and being reminded of the women who went to anoint Jesus' body. The stone rolled away. 
the conversation with Mary Magdalene, maybe one of the best, where she thought he was the gardener and she was there out of love for him and what it must have been like for her when she realized, when he said her name, Mary, and it's personal. And she realized then that's her risen Lord. What happened at Easter? Uh, Peter and John racing to the tomb. And the young man whooped up on the old men because that's what young guys can do. They can run faster. But the old man walked in there first. I love the story of, the, of them going into the tomb and, and seeing the, the bedclothes folded. Sometimes, I'm going to say it. So kids, Jesus made his bed and folded his clothes. You do the same, okay? Uh, but to hear about that and, and what that meant, that actually is a, is a proof, a secular proof that Jesus' body wasn't stolen. Because if you're going in there at night and you've overcome some Roman soldiers and you're going to grab a body out and steal it and try and lie and say he rose again, I think you'd either take that cloth with you or you just leave it there and get out of there before you got caught. But there was an order and a folding when Jesus came forth from the tomb. Many, many proofs of the risen Christ appearing, walking along the Emmaus Road, explaining from the Old Testament scriptures, which was their scriptures, it's what they had, and Jesus telling them the reason for all of these things. And he's gone, and they go, that was Jesus. Eating food with them. Why would it record that? For one, just the fellowship and all of the imagery of uh, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you open your heart to me, I come in and I'll dine with you and you with me. The, the, the looking forward to heaven and the marriage supper of the Lamb, but also a real physical thing. Jesus' physical body rose. His physical body was able to eat that food and process that food. He ate with them. And they could tell people, no, it really was Jesus. It really was him and not a ghost. It was an apparition. And, and, and then there's the... You know, Somebody been thinking as a souvenir keeper or whatever. Probably somebody claims they have it. Take that half-eaten or whatever was left over of the crumbs that Jesus ate off of. But he ate. He walked. These are wonderful uh, stories. And sometimes it seems like we emphasize them a little more at Easter. Fine. But they're stories for the whole year. Happy Easter. He has risen. He has risen indeed. So this morning, it's not the traditional Easter text, but this is a classic text which points to the critical importance of the bodily resurrection of Jesus. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, doesn't stop there, and you believe in your heart that what? That God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's a resurrection. We're going to hit some resurrection passages as we go through. Easter is fun, it's good, it's a celebration, and it's important to our understanding, important to our salvation. I want to do this, uh, three, three points, physical death and life, spiritual death and life, and then the place where that spiritual and physical life intersect. First of all, the physical death and life. Uh, we understand that we get old We grow up, things start to break down, we die. That's why we talk about seasons of life. My first speech I had to give in, like not seminary, college speech class. And they gave us, they assigned us something. And I was so enamored by this. I guess I'd heard it, but I hadn't. But it was Shakespeare's thing um, from, from his play, As You Like It. 
and I butchered it then, and I'll butcher it now, but listen to this. Listen, listen, just as an understanding, we all know this, where he said, all the world's a stage, and all the men and women are merely players. They have their exits and their entrances, and one man in his time plays many parts, his acts being seven ages. I won't read you all seven, but he, he, in his next sentence, he says, at first the infant, mewling and puking in the nurse's arms. Shakespeare said that, I didn't. Uh, but there's the baby. Can't take care of himself. Needs his diaper changed. He's there. And in the stages of, of, of a, a person's life, the last scene of all, Shakespeare writes, that ends this strange, eventful history is second childishness and mere oblivion. Sands teeth, sands eyes, sands taste, sands everything. We're headed there. We understand there's a physical life, there's a physical death. I used to think it was the most boring song. Now I listen to it and I get it more because I'm 58 now. But Frank Sinatra's song that Willie Nelson recorded and many others. But that song, when I was 17, that was a very good year. Uh, And then he goes through the ages and talks about getting old. We get old. Our bodies die. We march toward that. Every day, one step closer to physical death. We can try and fight it. We can try and deny it. Can't stop it. We say dust to dust, ashes to ashes. Listen to how Ecclesiastes ends. Uh, This is important stuff. Ecclesiastes 12, 1 through 8 says, Remember the Creator in the days of your youth. While you're young, while you are a youthful person, remember your Creator before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. He goes on a few verses later to say, In the days when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent, And the grinders cease because they are few. What's he talking about? (laughs) Your teeth. Your grinders are ceasing. They're they're few. They're falling out. He says, and those who look through the windows are dimmed. What's he talking about? He's talking about what we see in our, uh, even in our our dog Romeo. And his eyes are starting to get a little glassy. And he used to be the best catcher of food. And now sometimes he misses because he's getting older. And our eyes get older. Things get older. We are getting older. We are marching towards something. There's a physical life and death that we must understand. Grandma used to say, it's no fun getting old, Dave. It's no fun getting old. And yet she knew that she couldn't stop it. And good for Grandma. Grandma was ready. Grandma's probably said, I'd go through getting old again to be up here in heaven with my Lord. When Jesus Christ the Son of God, eternally God, begotten, not made, left his rightful place in heaven. He came with a purpose. He also was born. He came with a purpose to live, to die, and then to physically conquer death and live again. That was the purpose. Jesus was really born. Real baby. John puts it this way, the Word. It says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word, the word was with God, and the Word was God. This is the Word, Jesus Christ. Then it says, the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us, is the, is the Word. Pitched His tent among us, some translations. He 
came and lived among us. Real baby. Really died. We covered this last week. Wasn't a fake death. Wasn't a swoon theory. Wasn't a, oh, Nicodemus went to get him. He's detected a pulse. They rushed him somewhere. They nursed him back to health. Wasn't that real death. Three on the cross. Break the legs. Make sure he's dead. Next one, break the legs. Jesus, don't even need to break his legs. He's dead. Uh, we don't need to cut off his breathing by, by doing that, breaking the legs and making him gasp. He's dead. Stick a spear in him and out comes the water. But really born, really died. And really conquered death. Up from the grave he arose, we sometimes sing on Easter. More properly, we could sing out of the tomb he emerged, but that wouldn't that would mess up the poem and the rhyme so we can sing up from the grave he arose. But he emerged from that tomb. He came back from death. What's going to convince you of the resurrection of Christ is not me giving facts about it and the people he saw and talked to. The thing that's going to make you really see is the thing that made you really see your sin and your need of a Savior, and that's the Holy Spirit's work in your life. I'll say that as as the core. I I think the proofs of his resurrection and the things that I share, uh, I like to hear them as a Christian, and they just kind of remind me. But I wouldn't believe it if the Holy Spirit didn't do the work in bringing me from my own spiritual death to life. So that's what's going to convince you. But there are many infallible proofs. I think my favorite, and the one that resonates with a lot of people, is uh, about Jesus really being risen from the grave, is the fact that the ones who the scriptures and the early church uh, reported as being the first witnesses to that were those women. And why is that important? Because in that day, until Christianity came along and helped women and freed women, uh, women were not looked on uh, as, as even reliable witnesses in court. Uh, a woman's word was not to be taken as good as a man's. If you were going to invent a, a religion and your invention was going to be that Jesus rose from the grave and you wanted people to believe it, you would take a prominent athlete or a businessman or any kind of a man leader. You wouldn't want the servant women. But Christianity reported it straight up. And these women who might not have been as High in society at that time were high in God's eyes, and, and they are the ones who discovered. That's actually a proof in favor of, of, of Jesus being bodily risen from the grave. It's one of my favorites. But you can... You're not going to believe till the Holy Spirit opens your eyes and makes you believe. But I would say this, and I wrote this, in other words, Christianity's pro-woman stance is one of the many proofs of the resurrection. Physical life, physical death. Our own physical lives marching toward physical death. Jesus becoming and and having physical life, physical death, and then physical resurrection. But our spiritual death and life is what is being spoken of here in even a more intense way. We are all spiritually dead in our natural state. We've been this way since birth. Song I like, uh, the, the guy says, you know, I'm a criminal, Lord. I'm here on death road. I've been this way since birth. He ends up begging God to save him and give him life and bail him out because of the death that's coming. 
were born this way. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. I was conceived in sin and born in iniquity. Another scripture, by one man sin entered the world and death through sin. In Adam all die. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death. It's instinctive and we know it. And we fight it and we try to hide it and deny it. But we know spiritually there is no hope. Some people think it's very liberating to be free of all that fairy tale God stuff. Boy, we're going to get rid of God. We're going to get rid of afterlife. We're going to get rid of, of, of eye in the sky watching me. We're going to get rid of all of that stuff, and we're going to be liberated. And they try and convince people, and people have tried to be convinced of it. And what happens? There is no God. There is no journey. There's nothing to look forward to. There is stay alive at all costs. There is a transference of, of Bible religion, true religion, into just politics as religion or those types of things. And, and, and it's life and death what we do on this earth because we want to convince ourselves there's no heaven, there's no God, there's no right, there's no Jesus, there's no forgiveness. It's actually very limiting to think this is all there is. And it's actually very barbarous to think this is all there is. If this is all there is, then you go to an ultrasound and you've got a baby with Down syndrome, that little man or woman, kill it. This life is not worth living because life's hard enough anyway for those of us who don't have Down syndrome. Kill it, kill it, kill it. That's the result of people who say there's no heaven, there's no God, there's no right or wrong. The genocide of last century and of this century was done by God deniers. People were not important. People were like grass to be mown down, as somebody said to me one time. They're units, not persons. They're demographic groups. They're not individuals made in God's image. They're not unique persons uh, with fingerprints all their own. Not unique persons with DNA all their own with their own thoughts, with all their own hopes, with all their own backgrounds. You take away the spiritual life that's promised in heaven, uh, and boy, we are sentenced to something terrible here. People look alike. Ever wonder who's your doppelganger? Who looks like you? I sometimes think, who acted like me? Who had my, if we took like an extensive you know, one of those Myers-Briggs things, and then ratcheted up by a million. And who, is there somebody that's ever lived that's been exactly like me in personality, not in looks, but personality? Who would that person be? Would it be uh, somebody 200 years ago from China or 300 years from now in Africa? Who would that person be? I would like to meet that person. You guys probably wouldn't, <laughs> but I would. Uh, who is that person? And yet that person is going to be different than me. And we, we talk about people who look alike, and in our phrase, here's a phrase, if I was teaching an ESL class, I would say, you might hear this sometime in your life, there are people who we, we say are cut from the same cloth. They're people that kind of look like each other. I had a friend down in Delaware, Wes Garnett. Wes was a spitting image of Eddie Murphy. 
That was Eddie Murphy. And I was at a restaurant with him there in Delaware. We were at the table, and this woman comes up, and she's, she's our waitress, and she's taken our order, and she's gone back to the kitchen. She came up kind of almost giddy, kind of shy, kind of embarrassed. She says, I just have to ask you something. She said, the people back in the kitchen at least, and, and uh, she said, I just have to ask, are you Eddie Murphy? And I said, I get that all the time. And she looked at me, and she cracked up. And Wes said, no. He said, I really do get that all the time. I have his looks. I don't have his paycheck. <laughs> um, but I wish I was. Well, you know what? You can look like somebody. You can act kind of like somebody. But you, as an individual person, have an individual spiritual life that is just as real. Uh, uh, some people would say even more real than your physical life. And you have a destination And you have either eternal life or eternal death in that spiritual part of you. There's something beyond this life. We're spiritually dead unless and until God saves us and we pass from death to life. I said, I said, that's true of Eddie Murphy and Wes Garnett. That's true of me and my lookalike James Garner. But that was a joke. Um, It's opposite of physical life where we move from living to dying. We're born. We live. We're moving toward death. Spiritual lives begin with death and then move to life. Think about that. It's life and death, but it's spiritual death to spiritual life. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. Think about spiritual moving from death to life. That's the Christian message. Colossians 2, 13 and 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Well, what I'm saying, I'm saying again, physical life starts with life and it moves toward death. That's the conclusion. We are born spiritually dead. And when Jesus comes and saves us, we have moved from death to life. That's the spiritual conclusion. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Thank God Cameron's got Jesus that he's hearing about. Thank God Brittany corrected him and said, yeah, it's Jesus who died on the cross and not Pastor Dave. For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. The Bible talks about that contrast. We live in both worlds. The classic passage regarding the resurrection, and you can just remember this and store this up. Maybe you can say, I don't want my Easter Sunday to end. I'm going to go home and read this and think about it. 1 Corinthians 15. It's a good one for funerals of Christians especially. It's a great one for funerals of Christians. 1 Corinthians 15, 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. 1 Corinthians 
15, 17 through 22, a couple verses later. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Jesus didn't get raised, then we're just playing games and we're still in our sins. Something about Jesus' resurrection tied to his death on the cross, saving us. The power over death. Then those also who've fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. We deserve every, every name that, that the world calls us. Stupid, supernatural, uh, idiots, anti-this, and believing in myth and all of that. Everything that the world says, if Christ is not raised from the dead, hey, good, we own it. That's what Paul's saying. We're the most to be pitied of all people. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. Uh, We talk in our theological circles because it's in the Bible. There's a first Adam and a second Adam. We're all in that first Adam. And then Jesus comes along and saves us. And that second Adam does what the first Adam couldn't do. He took us that way. Jesus, in his death and resurrection, brought us life. Three more verses from 1 Corinthians and the final point. Verses 46 through 49. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, talking about Adam, talking about Eve, talking about Cain, talking about about the first human people. As As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, that would be Jesus, so are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Be encouraged by that. And now getting back to our Romans text, we're going to tie these two together, the spiritual and the physical. It's where they intersect. Paul started out this section. This is part of a letter, and it's a long thing. We won't start from Romans 1 and and give the whole background, but he started out this section saying there's two kinds of people. Verse 30, he says, um, What shall we say then? He's talking about Israel. He's talking about the Gentiles. He's talking about salvation of the cross. He says, here's what we're saying. The Gentiles who didn't even pursue righteousness, they weren't reading their Bibles and saying, I want to please God and inventing all these things for, oh, Sabbath and, and this and that and, and trying to, 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 to make all these layers and layers and even almost adding to Scripture. No, not almost. Even adding to Scripture so that they could maybe keep the Scriptures if they were lucky. He says, the Gentiles, they didn't even pursue righteousness, but they attained it. That's the righteousness by faith. But Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as it were, based on works. They've stumbled over the stumbling stone. Gentiles of Paul's day, today we'd call them the irreligious. They weren't trying to be right with the true God through works righteousness, but they attained it anyway. The Israelites of Paul's day, today we would call them the the religious people. They were trying to be right with God, but they have failed to achieve that rightness. And the difference is Jesus Christ. Uh, 
be religious, be irreligious. Without Christ, you're spiritually dead, and that means hell in, the, in, in eternity. Be religious, be irreligious, and all of a sudden say, wait a minute. Jesus Christ is the salvation. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And all of a sudden, you get brought to life. Jesus as your substitute, the only possible substitute, when you worked so hard, can be an offense. Good people, quote-unquote good people, don't like the idea that they're not good enough because they've done pretty good. They've got the charts to prove it. They've got the testimonials to prove it. And they don't like the idea that uh, that means nothing. In fact, it's almost an offense. Jesus is, is there on the cross dying, and they're smacking him in the face, not with the insults, but with their good works, which are insults. I'll do it myself, Jesus. Can't do it yourself. Religious, quote-unquote, righteous people need Jesus. Sometimes we, we do this. We fall for this. Me? Yeah? Come on, God. Can't I at least get partial credit? Can I at least? You get the top billing. I read about some movie actress, and, and, uh, and she really wanted, I think it was she wanted Jimmy Stewart to get this role, and she was like a, the inspiration. She, she basically got him to be the, and she said, I tell you what, you've got to give him the billing. I'll even take the, the sub-billing. Uh, we say that with God. You take the credit, but give me partial credit because I'm kind of working for salvation here too. And Paul says, who's going to say, I'm going to go up to heaven and get Christ, or I'm going to go down to hell and get Christ? No, your works, righteous, even if you include a little Jesus language in it, will not save you. Jesus Christ, his substitutionary death, his resurrection, his sending the Holy Spirit, that's outside of you. We call that alien righteousness, righteousness not our own. Paul said in verse 2 of chapter 10, and we're going to speed up, but we've got to get this. He said they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. He says they're trying to establish their own righteousness. Verse 3, failure every time. And you cannot chase down Christ with your efforts. Verses 6 and 7. There's something we do in our physical bodies, though, that has ramifications for our eternal spiritual lives. The bodies matter. What does he say to do? Exercise faith. The word is near you. He comes to his people. He says, hear. He says, proclaim. Uh, 10, 8 through 10. What does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Absolute. For with the heart one believes and is justified, with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And that's it. The response to our salvation, then there's some good works, then there's some being good, there's some following God. You can't help it. He saves you. You're going to be, there's justification, there's rightness with God. You're a new person. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things are new. And there is a living for God that happens, not in order for you to get saved, but because you are saved. Church history, we say, we're saved by faith alone, but not the faith that is alone. And there is a thing, and God who started you with salvation is going to complete his good work in you. 
Can a person say, I'm a, I'm a Christian and I just don't tell anybody? Here's a scary couple of verses for that. Matthew 10, 32 and 33. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who's in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who's in heaven. Take our young couple who brought their son for baptism. They met with the elders of our church. They acknowledged their need of a Savior. They acknowledged their trusting in Jesus. They became members of the church. They testified and they acknowledged Jesus before human beings. And they did it again, saying, here's what our son needs, just like we need. There's an acknowledgement. There's a public acknowledgement. And, 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 and church membership is a good way to acknowledge participating in the Lord's table as a, as a church member. Every time you say, this is who I'm trusting in, acknowledge. Who gets to come to God? Who gets to be saved? Who should? Uh, this is, this is uh, for the scripture says in verse 11, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. You can look at this in the racial context, since everybody wants to talk about race this and race that these days. And and divide, 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 and and take away your identity as a human being sometimes to to, to put you in the group. Well, I want to talk about that. Jews and Gentiles, big racial distinction. Call on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. You want to say it's more than just race that he was talking about, religion and non-religion. All right, whatever your sins are and your sin proclivities are and the, the temptations of whatever your life was in the background, some come from these nice little acceptable to culture type sins. Uh, some come with the dirty sins. No distinction. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's no distinction based on your race or your prior religious uh, inclinations. You call on the name of the Lord, you're saved. Call on the name of the Lord, you're saved. We're adopted into God's family the same way. Through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've confessed with our respective mouths that Jesus is Lord. We believed in our respective hearts that God raised him from the dead, and we are saved and we are family. And I would just say this at the end. Paul goes on to say, if you are, tell, share, don't be afraid. He says, my heart's desire is that they may be saved. He goes on and wraps up this section as we're going to wrap it up. He says, how are they going to call on him whom they haven't believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? That's not the ordained preacher. That's, that's someone telling the good news of the gospel. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And there's a mystery that we don't understand. But we are enlisted by God to love to share the good news of Jesus and let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit will do. Let's move, let's move to the table. Um, just say this to, to the last paragraph. To tell the irreligious lost that there's... I mean, you want to tell the religious lost to stop working so hard in their own power to receive and rest on Christ. And we want to tell the irreligious lost that there's more to life than living and dying in the moment. That there is... Jesus to be believed, that their eternal spiritual lives hang in the balance, 
and they can experience real life because he lives. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your resurrection. We thank you for giving us and granting us, allowing us to live. Thank you for these physical lives, uh, Lord, even that are leading to a physical death. But Lord, we thank you that though we were born in spiritual death, that you sent Jesus and that you have opened our eyes and given us spiritual life and you've brought us from spiritual death to spiritual life. We love you for that. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.